period. So we're going to talk tonight about primarily the tribulation period and what is leading up to that. Uh, as we pointed out to you in Matthew chapter 24, we, we told you that the first, see, four through eight are really talking, Jesus is alluding to the time right up before the tribulation starts, which we know now is going to be the rapture. That is the next prominent thing that is on the horizon is the rapture of the church. And it's very important that we be ready for that. Now what I need to say to you tonight, I don't want to frighten you, because my, my goal for this course has been to alleviate fear for the end times for you. I wanted, and I think we've accomplished that. I want you to stand firm in who you are in Christ. And I feel, in my spirit, I feel that you folks are, have, a, have a leg up on people, if I can put it that way. Because this, what we've shared with you, is not being taught much. In fact, there's many preachers out there today that are abandoning the rapture theory at, you know, completely. Uh, and, and they've mixed it up with the tribulation and all this stuff. And, and it, it's such, it strikes such a tune of fear in people's hearts. And that's, as your pastor, I wanted to eliminate that. And, uh, and I'm so happy that my precious mother is getting to listen to these because she, we've talked about it over the years. But to be honest with you, until I moved here, I really uh, had never really been prompted by the Spirit of God to get into it to this degree. And, and there's a lot more in depth for this. If you want to get John Barty's book, he goes into a lot of the things about the World War III that's going to happen right after the rapture. He goes into a lot of details that I really don't feel necessary to, you know, as a pastor from that platform to get into that. But what I want to say to you is this. Not, not much as a warning, but a, you know, as just as a flag, is that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ worldwide is not ready for what's going to be coming here pretty soon. Amen. They're not ready. We, we've been, I say we because I'm talking about the church at large, we've been kind of lulled to sleep uh, and resting, you know, and not being vigilant and not, not being uh, trying to pursue the kingdom of God the way that we are supposed to. And there's going to be a price to pay for that. I mean, people, people are going to... It wouldn't surprise me that some Christians just go ahead and commit suicide because of what's going to be coming. And this is not talking about tribulation. I'm talking about the things that's leading up to it. The persecution... I'll go ahead and say it. The persecution that's about to come on the church within the next five years is going to be worse than we've ever seen in modern day. It'll be likened unto the martyrs of the early church. And so we need to be strong. We need to know who we are in Christ. Uh, we need to uh, get ourselves ready. We don't want to give the enemy one iota of, of uh, permission to do anything to our lives. We, uh, I keep, in my, when I say that in my spirit, I see a, a little crack in the armor that somebody's wearing and you know he a dart can go in that area and and so I, I want us to all put on the whole armor of God and uh, I alluded that to that little thing I put on Facebook today about putting on the armor of righteousness and and, and it is comprised of the word of God and and I'm telling you we, we need to really be careful about that so so I, that out of the way let, let's begin here as I told you he uh, refers to the church somewhat there between verses 4 through 8, as we've covered, I think, pretty good. And then he goes into uh, talking about, you know, the, what they're going to be going to and for the signs that's going to be uh, given. See, Jesus was asked three questions. Uh, and, and we talked about that last week too, I think. Uh, he was asked, because he was t said that about the temple. Remember I told you about the little the, the gems that were fixed in the stones and they were all... Because they took Him over there. If you'll read that carefully, the disciples got a hold of Him and said, come over here and look at this temple. And they, you know, everybody loved the temple. That was the central uh, agency in the, in the life of a, of a Jew was the temple. 
and and uh, it was their life. That's where they worshipped. That's where they heard the scriptures. Uh, so it was it was a focal point in their life. And Jesus said, "All oh, this is going to come down." And uh, they said, "Well, tell us when that's going to happen. When will be the fall of Jerusalem? When when are these things going to take place? What will be the sign of thy coming? And when when are these things going to happen?" And so he answers these questions so thoroughly. But most people won't take the time to meditate these scriptures and allow the Holy Spirit to to give you life in these. You know, you cannot afford to read the Bible like it's a like it's a regular book. Because it's alive. The the, the word is alive. And there there's so much in it. And so he, the Holy Spirit, can step you through these verses and bring enlightenment to you, even things that I've not even seen yet. You, you, you know, if the Holy Spirit is in you, and He is your teacher. You see, I think one of the problems we have today is that we've been so used to being taught by our intellect that the Holy Spirit doesn't have a chance to speak anything to us. Because it's too easy to get a, to get a reference book, a commentary, a study aid, and come up with your own interpretation of the Word of God. It's a, you know, I did it for years. And, and then I found out how to pray in tongues and, and how to allow Him to be my teacher. And so, so I don't want you to sell yourself short. If you'll pray in the Spirit and range over the Word. You know what I mean by that? By range, just, just picking up, picking up a, a, a portion of Scripture and keep reading it and, and keep praying in the Spirit kind of gently under your breath. Keep reading that. Keep reading that. And the Holy Spirit will give you illumination. These things I'm telling you are, are divine illumination that He's given me. See? But as, I stu- as you study, and, and I listen to other men as well, and as I study and listen to them and then take it into my prayer chamber, He makes it real to me. It becomes revelation to me. Same thing can happen to you, see? And will. So don't sell yourself short. God loves you as much as He does the greatest teacher in the whole world. Amen? Uh, so, so let's go on then. He answers these questions with three or four parables, and I wanted to bring that to you. And the very first thing that he says here uh, in verse 32 of chapter 24, he says, Now, now notice after verse 31, I mean, I'm sure that caught their attention. What he said was going to happen, they, he'll send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they'll gather together his elect from the four winds from the one end of heaven to the other. That's north, south, east, and west. I mean, that's a huge statement. These guys had never heard that. And so he, he, he brings it down to this. And then he goes back and says, okay, now I want you to hear the parable of the fig tree. Now, how many knows about fig tree? Do they grow here? Fig trees don't grow here in Oklahoma? Well, one of the first things I learned about a fig tree is that its leaves feel like sandpaper on the bottom side. On the back side of it, they feel like sandpaper. And my elementary mind basically went to the Garden of Eden and I thought, why would they pick fig leaves for clothes? I mean, (laughs) you know, that's crazy. But the thing here that I wanted you to see is that that the fig tree is always uh, a representation or a signpost of Israel. That's what, you know, that's you know, the sign tree. I mean, Jesus came to the fig tree. In fact, I was doing some reading earlier today about what some people have said about what Jesus said about the fig tree. Because, you know, when He came to it, He found no fruit on it. And then it says in parenthetical statement there, because the time of the figs were not yet. But how many realizes that when leaves come on a fig tree, so do the figs. They're there simultaneously. And so... A lot of guys are saying that it's just error, you know, and Jesus was wrong and and all that garbage. But uh, what he's saying there is that they they weren't ready for harvest. They weren't ready. And when Jesus went there and and looked and there was no figs, he likened that unto the the state of Israel. The Jewish uh, uh, people historically have rejected Jesus outright. 
as the Messiah, will not have him. And so they once had a light in them, but what they did was bury it, and that will come up a little later in these parables. So he said, learn this parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. You know right away that in the summertime the, the, the figs are ready to eat. Well, he's, that means that tribulation is near. The things that he just said in the previous verses, you know as a fig tree, when you see the leaves, you know that summer is near. And, and so he's talking about, let this be unto you a sign that, that the tribulation is near. And then he says, so likewise you when you shall see all these things. When you see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. And that is talking about the millennial reign. The millennial reign is listed in the Old Testament. And all through the Old Testament, all the way up until the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus is in the Old Testament. So the church age is not. So you'll know then, he, he says, you'll know that the millennial reign is near. That's what he's talking about, these two different events. They're seven years apart, basically. And he said, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. That The word fulfilled here means in order. These things will happen in order as I have described them to you. But, he said, heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away. How many believes that? God's, it's impossible for God's Word to pass away. These things that's spoken, verse 30, 35 here, the things that He's spoken will come to pass. It's impossible for them not to. They are the Word of God. It's exactly what happened in Luke 1.37 when the angel announced to her what, she, what was going to happen to her. It says there in 1.37, I like a, another translation than the King James, it said, no word from God is void of power. When Mary said to the angel, be it unto me according to thy word, I'm telling you that sealed the deal right there. That, that began eternal redemption. And so just as sure as that word was true, and nine months later, guess who came? Jesus. And brought forth the Messiah. The same strength behind that statement is said right here about these things that's going to happen. And He wants these boys to know it. See, the, remember what I said. The people in the tribulation period are going to be rescued by the, by the gospel that the Gentiles taught. The gospel of Christianity is what they're going to preach. They're not going to have just an improved version of Judaism. But yet we have some ignorant Christians wanting to go back and be Jews. I had one guy tell me one time, he said, well, you know, Judaism is the roots of Christianity. I said, no, it's not. It absolutely is not. This is a new covenant. This is brand new. Jesus came and it's a brand new deal. We don't have any ties to Judaism. The thing that we need to realize though, as we uh, allow the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, he will, look, he will cause us to look back on the Old Testament and then we can see Jesus all through it, see. The Jews can't. I'm amazed. I've got books back there. That's the Talmud and the rabbinical writings and all that. And you go read some of their interpretations of what things mean. I mean, it's, it's totally fleshly. has no spirituality about it whatsoever. It's, it's just incredible that they can't see these things. But it says there, I think we might read that if we get to it, it said blindness has happened in part to Israel until the time of the Gentiles come in. That is, be completed. The blindness has happened. And so at the rapture, see this is why there must be a rapture. It is the salvation and preservation of the, of the children of Israel. It's God's way of rescuing as soon as we're gone their eyes are going to be open. It's going to be a supernatural eye-opening experience. And they are going to receive this. Now, Pastor, what did you say were seven years apart, the two things? The, the beginning of the tribulation period and the millennial reign. That's seven years apart. So here in, in chapter uh, 24 again, verse 36, he says, but 
at that that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. This is not talking about the rapture. Remember us going into that. I think we've laid that out pretty, pretty severely. It's talking about the second advent. They will not know the hour or the day. The hour is the Greek word hora. And the word day is the Greek word hemera. And that means that he wasn't just generally using a term as a season because everyone at the time of the rapture, the Jews will know indefinitely that they only have seven more years. And I mean, that's good news. I mean, think about that. If, if the rapture occurred tomorrow, seven years from tomorrow, the millennial will start. That's exciting. We're going to be here. Amen. Glory to God. So this is good news. All of the end time teaching should be good news to us. And there's going to be a lot of things happen. So let's go on. I'm getting bogged down. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 37 then. But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And that's the second advent. Lots of people throughout all of my growing up days have said this was the rapture. This is when Jesus was coming for the church. No. He's not even talking about the church during this time. He said, for or because, this is the explanation, as. If I was you, I would circle the little word as. As in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So they were eating. It's not, don't mistake this, that this was just normal living going on. This is talking about surfeiting. You know, the Bible said, Jesus said in one, at one point, He said, take heed that your hearts be not overcharged with surfeiting and drinking. Drunkenness, He said. Surfeiting is eating too much. So these people were gluttonous people. And He says they were drinking. That word there means to imbibe or drunkenness. And then marrying and giving in marriage, that is talking about homosexual marriages. That's what was happening. Now, unless, some, unless you forgot, the, the, the thing that destroyed the early world was homosexuality. That's exactly what destroyed it. And that's what it's trying to do again, see. Because this word as means the same thing that were happening then is, uh, is going to happen just before the rapture. Or just, you know, just at the... Uh, the coming of the Son of Man be at the, at the beginning of tribulation. That's, that's the prerequisite. And we're already seeing that. And that's why I say, and, I, and I'm, I know I'm going out on a limb saying this, but I don't care. I mean, who do I answer to? You know, you guys like me. That's all I care. Uh, but listen to me. Uh, we can't give in to this. And I'm, I'll guarantee you the persecution largely will be because that people like me don't have sense enough to shut up about homosexuality. And that's the, a large part of it's going to be because of that. And uh, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's, it's trying to over, overwhelm the world. Satan's trying to do what he did before. He got it down to eight people before. But he's not going to make it that way this time. So he's telling them then, as the days of Noah were, until the day that they entered into the ark. Until the day. Think about that. Do some research about the flood. It had never rained before. There was no such thing as boats. This earth was a garden. It was watered through a mist from the ground. It had never rained. I would think that when it started raining, those people would say, hey, wait. We probably were wrong about all this. But you know what? God shut the door. And I believe with everything within me, because I'm understanding more of my Heavenly Father, I believe that there were millions of people that repented in their death and were saved by the flood. They didn't make it through. They were, they were taken to the place where we called uh, paradise. And, and, and the untold millions of babies that were saved, that were spared. See. Remember this, that God's judgments are always good. 
They're for the preservation of mankind. It's not because he's pissed off and wanting to hurt people. It's not. I'm telling you, some people think that he is. So as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. And it says, know this, verse 39, and knew not until the flood came and took them all the way. What took them? The judgment of God. The flood that took them all the way. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now that's a little inference or a little tiny insight into the, uh, the way that it will be on that day that Jesus comes back. Remember I talked about that over here for in verse 27 last week. As the lightning shines or comes out of the east and shines, even so uh, the coming of the Son of Man be. That's going to be fast. Remember I talked about it. He, he will circle the earth seven times in one second. That's the speed of light. 186,272 miles per second. He's going to do that. And he said, this is going to come suddenly. And, this is a, and, and so he said, at that point in time, verse 40, then, tote, this word I've got up here on the board, means the, in, in sequence of events. Then, at that point, Two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. What does that mean? That means one's going to be a believer and one's not. Two women shall be at the grinding mill. One one will be at work grinding, the other at work. One will be taken, the other left. And then verse 42, he says, Watch therefore. Watch. It's interesting about this word watch. Because it means... Watch therefore, because of the previous warning, because of what I've just said to you, be careful. It's the Greek word Gregorio, which means to take heed, lest through remission and indolence some destructive calamity suddenly overtake one. That's what the word watch means. So be careful. He's wanting people to watch. He's wanting these guys. Not talking about us. You know, remember all the movies we watched about the rapture? I wish we'd all been ready. I hated it. I hated it then. It's not true. He's talking about those guys watching. Be careful. I'm going to get to the reason why in a minute. For you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, He would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken up. What is he saying here to these guys? He said, I want you to be careful and watch these signs and be aware. And don't let any one of your household be taken. Preach to them. Tell them about these things. Let them know these things. And that's exactly... What he's saying here, those that endured is the good men of the house. So not only will the 144,000 Jews that are converted, 12,000 out of each tribe, be preaching, but then all the people that believe what they are saying, they will be preaching and they'll be teaching people these things. Watch, this is what's coming. Be careful. And he says, but know this. Well, um, verse 44... Therefore, be ye also ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh, second advent, who then is a faithful and wise servant? So here is the parable. A faithful servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. So, the parable of the faithful and the evil servant. The ex- in order to understand the next two parables, and, yes, and, and chapter 25 as well, the last parable we'll deal with. No, the last two parables we'll deal in 25. In order to understand those, it's imperative that you go back and read chapter 23 all the way through because that is a description of the condition 
of the Israelites, uh, the, the Jewish people. They have consistently rejected Jesus. I mean, He lambasts them. Read that chapter. It's, it's incredible what He lays on them. It's that person that He's talking about here. The faithful man is the one that is going to, to, to believe. And the unfaithful, of course, is the one that's not. So He says, Who is then is that faithful servant whom His Lord made ruler over His household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over his goods. It's a picture now of the, of the state of Israel, those that will believe. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with, with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have y'all ever wondered what that meant? I always did. I, I thought, you know that, I mean, I can kind of see that. The, you know, people anguishing in hell and weeping and gnashing. You know, it's, it's just gritting your teeth and stuff. But I did some research one time and it painted a beautiful picture as to what Jesus was trying to say here. Back during the times when, you know, the Bible days, when all these were being written, when, they, when, he, when he said this word, gnashing of teeth, weeping and gnashing of teeth, they all knew exactly what he meant. When people were disobedient to the law and were being punished, late at night they would take these prisoners and they would tie them with ropes around their chest and would push them over the wall and tie that rope off and they, would, they could not reach the ground so they were dangling there on that wall and all the wild beasts would come up and try to eat them and that's when people were, were gnashing their teeth and weeping and crying and begging for, for peace, you know, some relief. So that, I wanted to stick that picture in your mind because Jesus, these men knew and when Jesus was saying, listen, watch, tell your household about this, tell your friends, tell your relatives, this is what's going to happen because you don't know when He's coming. And when He does come, this is what's going to happen to you. And then, of course, the spiritual reference is, they're going to hell. Pure and simple. They're going to hell. You talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, that's forever. That's awful. That, I mean, that's hell. I don't want anybody, as bad as I hate child molesters, I don't want them to go to hell because I know what it's going to be like. Help us, dear Lord. Give us your love for people, I pray. Outer darkness. So that's their appointment. You know, e e evil people, are, that's their appointment. That's what's going to happen for them if they don't believe the Gospel. Now, let's turn to chapter 25. Now, let me say this again. I know that I handed you out a uh, handout about the Jewish weddings, and I'm sure you guys read that. It's very interesting. There's, there's a few things in there that I differ with because of the timeline, but that doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I respect other men and what they say about these things. But I want you to understand this for sure, that chapter 25 is Jewish only. And it's because of that analogy about the wedding feast. Now, look at this. He says, Then, total... Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. Now, the parable of the ten virgins. What is a virgin? Now I know practically what one is, but spiritually speaking, what is a virgin? It's someone who is not engaged. We would say engaged to be married, or the Bible calls it espoused. Joseph and Mary were espoused to be married. They weren't married. And she became with child before they were married. And in fact, the temptation was very great for Joseph to leave her. Because under the law, he had perfect right. I mean, when you're engaged to be married to somebody, and you've not had relations, and they come up with a child, you know, there's some bad things. It's like that lady, you know, <laughs> she, 
She was always complaining of, to her husband about leaving his stuff in the floor and making her pick it up. She just got fed of it and got up one day and said, Is that your, your underwear in the floor? <laughs> and he said, Honey, if it's not, we're both in trouble. <laughs> But these ten, these ten, these ten, sorry, that kind of squelches the anointing there, don't it? It'll be forever locked in your mind. So, a virgin is one that's not espoused. But listen, let me, let me offer this bit of information to you. We are the bride of Christ, aren't we? We are espoused. We're not the virgins. We are, according to that sheet that we passed out, that little story, you know, we, we are the bride. And we are going to go with Him to be prepared for the great wedding, see? And have the, the wedding festivities. So, it says that uh, verse 6, let's look at verse 6. He says, and at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go ye out to meet him. That's the Messiah. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us your oil, for the lamps are gone out. Notice what the wise said. Verse 9. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Shows you where their head is. Listen, you can't go buy your salvation from anybody. If you don't get it yourself, I'm telling you, you're just out of luck, so to speak. Amen? Amen? So, so these five wise virgins, now notice what time frame we're talking about. It's during the tribulation period, right? The five wise are the side of the Jewish people that did receive Jesus. The five foolish are the ones that did not. And this, this, is, the, this is the meaning of this parable. And he says, But the wise said, Not so, lest there be not enough for us. You go, uh, go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. The announcement came, He's coming! And so they was rushing around trying to get oil for their lamps. And while they were doing that, He came, and they that were ready went with Him to the marriage, and the door was shut. What door? The door to the millennium. They will not be allowed in. I, I guess it's okay if I say this at this juncture. Jesus is not going to allow one sinner to enter the millennial reign. Not one. Just think about that. There's seven billion people here. He's not going to allow one sinner. So, the people who believe the Gospel will be prepared to meet Him. It does not say that they're living perfect lives during the, during the tribulation period. So it's not going to be based on behavior and all that kind of stuff like we like to preach on. It's going to be based, did you believe Jesus is the Messiah and that He died for you and rose again the third day? If they said yes and they believe that, they're going. Amen? They're going to be protected. So, verses 10 through 13, I want to say this to you. The marriage supper that we all have heard for decades is not in heaven. It's on this earth at the end when He returns. The festivities take place after the wedding. And that's what these virgins were, were for, for the festivities. For you see, the marriage supper is festivity. So the door was shut for them to enter. And notice what He says. Let's see, uh, verse... Watch therefore... Well, no, verse 12. But He answered and said verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Now, there's two different words in the New Testament that's translated know. In Matthew chapter 7, he's, Jesus is talking there and He says, uh, I never knew you. 
And the word new there, past tense of no, it literally, it's the word gnosko. Gnosko. Starts with a G. Gnosko. Gnosko is a word for knowledge, but it is a word of intimacy. It is a word of relationship. It did not, Jesus was not saying there in Matthew 7 that he that they were sinners and he never knew them. He said, I never had an approving relationship with you. I was not intimate with you. You did not know me, I did not know you. And sadly to say, there's lots of Christians today that are that way. I mean, you know, it's a shame because we can know Him. We know Him in the full pardon of sin, but I'm talking about a kind of knowledge that you know Him like you know your brother, like you know your father and your sister. and all. Know Him relationship-wise. But here in this passage, the word I know you not is the Greek word oida. O-I-D-A. Oida doesn't mean that kind of a knowledge. Oida means I never ever even knew you. You are not related to me. I, you have nothing to do with me. And that's who he's talking about with the foolish virgins of this parable. See, So the people that are not engaged to Jesus as far as being born again... He, he, doesn't, you know, he knows us. He knows them. He'll know people then that, that believe. But these people, He does not know. Alright, now, let's go on. He says again to them, Watch, for you know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Watch. Let me emphasize that some more. It means to give strict attention to. Strict attention. Watch. I can't, I can't stress that enough tonight. So now look at verse 14. Matthew 25, 14. For. Anytime you see for in the laws of meditation and imagery and delivery, which we'd like to teach sometime, but uh, when you see those little words, that word for is an explanatory word. And you can use that in your meditation. Meaning he's not done. Jesus always taught in completed thought. It was not fragmented like we like to break it up sometimes so we can prove some of our pet little doctrines. He taught in complete subject matter and complete thought. So he's not done here. He says, For the kingdom of heaven, and the word kingdom of heaven is not there actually in the Greek. For it's as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And he gave... Five talents to one, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he gained two more. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. For after a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth unto them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five, I have gained beside them five more. His Lord said to him, Well, done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Entering into the joy of the Lord is the state of the millennial reign. So the people that have done this, this guy that got five and got five more, he did a good job. He, in other words, he believed in the Lord Jesus and was obedient to Him. He said, this is your, this is your, your lot. You're going to get to go into the joy of the Lord. And then it says, He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, Thou deliverest unto me two. Behold, I have gained two other. His Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But then the 24th verse throws a monkey in the wrench here. A wrench in the monkey or whatever they call it. Then he that had received one talent came and said, Lord. You know, Jesus told him once, He said, You call me Lord and do not the things that I say. He said there's going to be people come to Him and say, Lord, 
Have we not done this in your name? That's Matthew's. That's that Matthew seven reference. I never, I had, didn't have that kind of approving relationship with you. And so here he said, he said, I knew that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And his Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and I gathered where I have strawed not. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I, I should have received my own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which has ten. For unto every one that has shall be given and he that has abundance from, but from him that shall not be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant. Where? Into the outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, to, to hell. And you know, when I first read this as a young man, I, I, I didn't understand why Jesus would send somebody to hell for not doing a good business deal. But that's not what he's talking about. Leaving it in context, he's talking about this man that had one was the Jews that did not receive him and hated him. He's the one that qualifies for the whole 23rd chapter. You go see what kind of character he was. He, that's, that's him. And Jesus is saying, you knew that I was a man that gathered where I didn't straw and, and, and reap where I didn't sow. What he was saying there is that Jesus uses you and I, and in this frame of reference, uses the ones in the, in the tri tribulation period to sow this gospel. And sow this gospel. And sow this gospel. If Jesus is not sowing it. We sow it. Amen? Paul said, uh, I sow, another reaps. I, you know, another waters rather. But God gives the increase. So, so that's what he's saying. The house of Israel had a talent and they hid it they turned it into a four-walled building and they said you got to do this 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 and this to please god and they add so many laws and rules and regulations and burdens heaped upon them that nobody could keep and they did not do anything for the lord and that was going to be taken away and what he said when he when he said to him take from his talent that one and give it to the one that had 10 is that we and them also in the tribulation period are going to enjoy the benefits of the reaping harvest of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to enjoy those things. See, And then he goes on, he says, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all of the uh, holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. Now this... This is going to be, I'm calling this the throne of Christ at the millennial, at the beginning of the millennial. All of these, the angels are going to gather everyone that wasn't from God, not born again, did not believe, rebelled against Jesus. They're going to come and gather everyone and before him and gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand but the goats on the left. I thought it was interesting that the phraseology of uh, right hand means one who receives. But the one on the left hand, that phraseology historically means uh, and, and is interpreted to mean this, the lucky ones. The lucky ones. I think of those that play the lottery and stuff, you know. You know, the luck, trying to get, just, just be lucky. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come, Blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when thou saw when, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, thirsty and gave you drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, this is how much he values people. He says, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. You're not going to lose your reward. 
We can, we can pull that over into, the, in the, into our present day. Same principles apply. God will reward you for what you're doing. And we'll get into that when we get into judgment seat of Christ things. But then shall He say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from Me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, you gave Me not. Thirsty, no drink. Stranger, didn't take Me in. Sick, prison, you didn't visit Me. Then shall they also answer and say, Lord, when did we do that? And then, of course, in, in, the, in the inverse of that is that you didn't do it to those little ones. You did not do it for me. And he said, verse 46 again, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And then in verse 1 of chapter 26, Jesus ends all of those sayings. So, Jesus... Revelation 19 and 15 is going to destroy with His mouth. Let's just turn over there and read that. We're going to do some more in Revelation here in a minute. Someday I hope to uh, be able to teach in Revelation. Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. uh, Let's see, verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp, a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty. Now, when, when it comes right down to it, he returns just before we start the millennial reign, the thousand year millennial reign, Jesus is going to eliminate all unbelievers. And he's going to put the devil in the bottomless pit. Let's look at chapter 20 of Revelation. Verse 1, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal upon him, notice this, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. Think about this. During this thousand year reign, he will not be able to tempt anyone. Of course, those of us that are here working with Jesus, we'll have our glorified bodies along with those that were martyred in the the seven year period. Uh, We're going to have our glorified bodies. We'll be untemptable then anyway. But there's going to be people that are living in flesh bodies that come out of great tribulation that are still alive. And they're going to go into the millennial and they're going to have kids. And the Bible indicates in in certain parts that they're going to live to be several hundred years old. See, They're going to have children. And notice this, till the thousand years be fulfilled and after that he must be loosed a little season. Now notice what that turkey does. He goes right back and starts doing the same thing that he's always done to tempt the natural man. And notice what he says here in verse 4. I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and the judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. This is the tribulation saints. And for the Word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received His mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is He that that hath part in the first resurrection. On the such and on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with Him a thousand years. So you see, the, tri- the tribulation saints will be ruling with Jesus. We will be l- ruling with Jesus, uh, which is the first resurrection. And then, in verse let's see, uh, 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. That's the people of God that's ever been on the face of this earth that believed in Him. 
And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and the fire down from God out of heaven and devoured them, disintegrated them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They were not loosed, only the devil. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne... This is not the judgment seat of Christ. A lot of people get this confused. The great white throne and him that sat on it from those or excuse me from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were open. Notice that word books is plural. These are the books of works. The books of works. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books. The books of works. According to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. The dead hell. And hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And were judged every man according to their works and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire so that that is the judgment of all you can look at Revelation 1 6 and 5 and verse 10 also if you want to write that down but I wanted you to understand this, that at that great day of the great white throne, everyone will be judged based on their works. Why? Because they did not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when you reject the propitiation that Jesus became, when you reject the exchange that was made at Calvary for all of us, when you reject that, you automatically impose on yourself the judgment that came on Him. The judgment that came on Jesus was horrible. And you impose that on yourself. And that's why these people will be judged based on their works. I can just see it now. Going through the list of everything that person done. Was there anything good enough to get him into the kingdom of God? No. You can't get there by works. It's impossible. And so he goes through everybody's chart. You can't make it. Let's see if you're in the book of life cannot be found. And I'm telling you, these people are going to go into eternity in the lake of fire forever. That's not something to shout about. Where will we be when that's going on? We will be watching them.